Maniacs, welcome to the newest episode of the Needless Things Podcast, where we talk about toys, movies, music, and all manner of pop culture dorkery. I am your host, Phantom Troublemaker, and I'm trying to be kind of quiet, because here at the Phantom Ranch, it's 6 o'clock Friday morning, and all the buckaroos and buckarets are still asleep, except for me, who worked last night and is now coming home to record this fine podcast about Rogue One, a Star Wars story. Just for you, the Phantomaniacs. Uh, the reason I'm doing it now is because yesterday, if, if you follow El Phantasmus, which is me, on Facebook, you saw a woe is me post, which I hate doing and I try not to ever do. But there was woe and it was me, and I don't mean that in a Joey Lawrence kind of way. Uh, I, I Yesterday I got up early before the night shift at work because I wanted to come downstairs, I wanted to get this thing put together, recorded the intro and the outro and everything else and have it done, ready to post so I could come home and go to sleep this morning and then spend the rest of the day with my family. Yay! But of course, I got up, I took my shower, I brushed my teeth, I put my clothes on, I got everything all ready to go, opened the door to come downstairs into the Phantom Zone, and guess what? The power went out. Yeah. So I couldn't do anything i i could have i could have just recorded the intro but i would have had to do that on the laptop and then after that was done i would have had to transfer it to the pc once we had the power but it it just there was no point so uh so i did hang out with the family a little bit at that point uh, which was nice aside from the fact that i did have to leave to go to work and now i'm sitting here recording an intro for you guys and I have, uh, is this sad? Tell me if this is sad. All right. First of all, I've got, I've got to cover something from last week real quick. Last week's episode was my, essentially my recap of my Christmas in Walt Disney World. And I was, I don't know if you guys could tell or not. I was struggling because we came back from Disney. And I, I, before I left, I was diagnosed with a sinus infection, put on antibiotics. We got down to Orlando and in the same way that I can go to Dragon Con and just power through and be fine, uh, the same thing happened there. I got through my back problems. I got through my illness. I was good. But once we got back to Atlanta, I started feeling lousy and I went to the doctor Monday after Christmas, and it turns out I've got sin- uh, the sinus infection is still there, and I've got bronchitis, so I'm on antibiotics. Uh, I- I've just been sick as a dog. So when I recorded last week's episode, I was in pretty bad shape. I-, I was struggling to get through that thing in a way that I don't think I ever have for an episode before, especially considering I was just flying solo on that one, which was not the original plan. Uh and I completely left out the Epcot pub crawl that me and the missus performed in the last few hours of our time in Orlando. And I'm not going to go into it now because, honestly, it's just we went to Epcot, we walked around the countries, and we drank a shit ton. Uh, but it was a great time, and it should have been a fun way to finish off 
that recap episode and I just didn't get to it because I, I, let me just tell you guys, by the time I got to the end of that episode, I was drained. I had nothing left. So, uh, there you go. That's what happened last week. Maybe I'll tell the story of the Epcot pub crawl over on supportphantom.com. Uh, if you are supporting phantom.com, you have access to special podcasts that I only release there. And uh, you should go check that out. And another great way that you can help out Needless Things is by going to needlessthingssite.com. Click on that big old Amazon box on the top right of the page and buy your Amazon stuff through there. Chances are whatever's in that box will be something that might appeal to you, but you don't have to buy that stuff. Just click on the box, and once you're in Amazon, just go buy whatever and it some the internet magic makes it so a portion of what you spend uh goes to needless things and it doesn't cost you anything extra so that's a good way to to help us out over here if you can do such a thing okay so uh christmas happened and it was wonderful you know we we like i said we spent the time in disney and then we came home and we spent christmas eve with my wife's family and then christmas day we just hung out and I want to make some Christmas recommendations. And they're not necessarily Christmas. It's just things that I got for Christmas that I want to pass on to you guys. And number one is The Last Guardian, which is a game for PlayStation 4. And it's by the people who did uh, Shadow of the Colossus and Ico or Ico, depending on who you talk to. But if you know what I'm talking about, you know what I'm talking about. The Last Guardian is one of the most engrossing, beautiful games I've ever played. I'm so deep into it right now, I can't even touch anything else. And I ended up getting like four games for Christmas, which for me is four years worth of games, because I don't game a whole lot. Uh, and I I played the new WWE game for like ten minutes, because I was just waiting for the missus to come in so we could watch a movie, so I threw that in. Uh, but other than that, I, I, I can't play anything else. I've got the new the new Nathan Drake game, whatever that is, uh, Final Fantasy XV, the new WWE game and the last guardian. And I don't want to play anything but the last guardian. I mean, cause that's the reason I played the WWE is cause you can't play last guardian for 10 minutes and then put it away. Uh, it's engrossing. I, I matter of fact, I want to go play it right now. Uh, I'll talk to you guys later. Peace out. No, I'm just kidding. I'm going to finish this up. Uh, and then I'm going to go to bed. Uh, but anyway, so the last guardian gets my highest video game recommendation. It is absolutely fantastic. Just like eco and shadow of the classes before it. Uh, I also want to recommend Mad Balls. You guys, Mad Balls are so back. Okay, Mondo's vinyl, like, collector Mad Balls are available now. Uh, I believe you can just go to their site and order them now. I pre-ordered mine back in frickin' February or some crap. And Mondo, apparently I've learned since, has a reputation for taking their sweet time with things. But let me just tell you, these Mad Balls, these vinyl Mad Balls, are worth every penny and every moment that I waited. They're some of the most gorgeous toys I own. Uh, they're just absolutely incredible. Now, not only do you have Mondo's sort of high dollar mad balls, you also have stuff coming from Kid Robot. Uh, they've got a series of keychains that... Alright, this keychain thing that's going on right now, they're, they're Funko Pop keychains, they're laser cut figural keychains from somebody... Like, the keychain thing is a thing. And I think it's kind of dumb, but I guess it's a way for people to sell toys 
that maybe otherwise they couldn't sell if it didn't have a keyring stuck to it. I don't know. I'm not sure what the deal is with this. But Kid Robot put up their Mad Balls keychains. They were like, they're in stock now. They'll get to you before Christmas. So, of course, chump that I am, I was like, oh, I've got to order some of those. And I did. I ordered six of them, two for each family member. Because anytime something is a blind box item like that, I get enough for each of us, each of the three of us to have at least one. Because it's just... I hate blind boxes, but at the same time, they are fun. I have to admit it. Uh, and we got six different Mad Balls, and they're beautiful. They're wonderful. These are great little things, but I don't know what the fuck to do with them because uh, they're, they're keychains, and I don't need a Mad Balls keychain. I don't need any kind of gimmick keychain. So they're sitting on my desk right under my Ash figure, and I don't know what to do with them. But Kid Robot also, actually starting today has their mini Mad Balls figures, which honestly are probably going to be the same thing as these keychains. And uh, and then they've got medium Mad Balls, which are really expensive, larger size ones that I'm not interested in. And then they also have just regular-ass Mad Balls coming out. And then uh, another company whose name escapes me right now is doing new Mad Balls toys for mass market release. Those will be out in February, like everywhere, Walmart, Target, Toys R Us, whatever, Amazon, whatever your preferred toy retailer is. These things are going to be everywhere. So I'm really stoked about those as well. Uh, just, it's, it's a great time for Mad Balls specifically. 80s toys in general, there, there are a few things going on, but Mad Balls, Oh boy. Uh, so go get you some Mad Balls, people. Uh, and finally, the last thing that I'm going to recommend is uh, is that I take another sip of my beverage. This is what I was going to ask you guys about before. So I worked last night. I didn't feel like coming home and doing this. Uh, it doesn't mean I didn't want to do it. It doesn't mean I don't enjoy doing it. But I'm tired. I want to go to bed. So... I had to kind of kick myself into gear a little bit. So I poured myself a little bit of rum, and I poured some eggnog into that rum, and I'm now drinking a nice eggnog-rum combo, which we have a bit of a dispute in the house. Uh, I have looked on the Internet, which is, of course, the source of all knowledge and information that is right and good. And from what I have read, it seems like if you're on antibiotics, which I am, I'm on uh, Leviquin, I think it's called right now, and uh, you are not supposed to drink. Uh, specifically, it seems like beer is kind of a problem. It's something to do with the yeastiness or something. I don't know. Uh, I can't remember off the top of my head, but but I have I have looked into this, and it seemed like beer was the main thing. Like, don't drink a lot of beer when you're on antibiotic, antibiotics because it can counter the effects. Uh, liquor, I think, particularly clear liquors, uh, which this uh, this fine rum that my wife uses to make she she makes rum balls every year, and she makes badass rum balls, but she makes them with the cheapest rum she can find because when you're baking, uh, or uh, you don't even bake rum balls when you're but when you're doing whatever it is. You don't use nice rum for that. So she makes her rum balls. She puts a shit ton of rum in them, and they're great. But because they're rum balls and, and not like actual beverages, there's always a ton of rum left over, and I drink it because it's rum. What, what are you going to do, pour it out? No. Uh, so I'm sitting here, 6.30 in the morning, drinking uh, an eggnog and rum beverage to get myself psyched up to record a podcast. And I don't know if that's exciting or sad. 
go join the Needless Things Facebook group, uh, Needless Things Podcast on Facebook, and uh, let me know. Let me know if drinking eggnog and rum at 6.30 in the morning is sad or not, or if that's, uh, or if it's just party time. Maybe it's just party time. So anyway, I think that's about all I've got for you right now. Uh, I, there's so much more I want to write and talk about left over from the Christmas break, but it's just going to have to come in good time because now it is time to sit down with Chad J. Shonk, our head of research, Ryan Schweck, and the belligerent monkey to talk about Rogue One, a Star Wars story. Let's start off now and acknowledge that Carrie Fisher passed away today uh, at the young age of 60, and it sucks, and it's sad and disappointing. Uh, after the medical report came in, uh, was it Saturday, I think? It was, it was new, no, I believe it was Friday. Was it Friday? Was but. Friday. She, it might have been, might have been, might have been Christmas. She, she was on a plane, had a massive heart attack, and honestly, you know, if everything depends on how quickly you get to medical facilities and get treated, and and that's being on a plane is kind of the worst case scenario for that. Uh, and it it sucks. She was a very powerful personality. Uh, she got me to read a, a, what I would categorize as a lady book. And postcards from the edge, and it was awesome. And I, I became a fan of her writing even more so than I was of Princess Leia. So I I want to make sure we just acknowledge that she was so much more than just Princess Leia. That she was a strong voice uh, for for mental health, uh, for having I don't want to say a troubled life, but she 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 wore everything on her sleeve. And I think that's something that is a benefit to everyone to see, like, no matter what your life is, we all have problems. We all have things we have to get through. And she was always very vocal about that sort of thing. And and also the wit with which she approached those topics, uh, I, I've never seen the like. She made a lot of strength out of her weaknesses. Yes. You know, she found a lot of strength in her weaknesses. She She really, you know, you're right, though, she spoke openly about, mental health about her addiction issues and things like that and while we're going to talk star wars and that's obviously the first thing that's going to pop into our mind um when we think of her uh i think you're absolutely right uh i had the privilege of working with her for a day on a movie um many years ago on a not so great movie about john holmes starring val kilmer and um spent a day with her and uh I, i'm not going to say she was nice and i don't mean that in a bad way um, she was the, exactly who you thought she would be. You sure. know, she was cursing a blue streak and smoking and, um, sardonic. And, uh, I'll never remember in, in the middle of a take, she blew a take. And instead of just saying like, ah, fuck, 
let's go again. She stood up and she said, help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. You're my only hope <laughs> in front of the entire crew, but not, not, not impersonating herself at 19, but in her, you know, cigarette tarnished, age tarnished voice. Um, and just with that, that, you know, that, the Carrie Fisher bite that we came to know as, as she grew older and, and came into her voice. And uh, she also knew that she had a lot of film geeks around her and that they would all be really happy to hear that when we were. So I'll always cherish that time. But I think you're right. It's good to acknowledge her. Uh, I've been a little dis- disappointed by the headlines that say actress Carrie Fisher when she was much more prolific as a writer yeah. than she was as an actress. And I think both of those things deserve to be acknowledged. So, Jay and Ryan, any particular words or, or- Memories. Um, I saw her speak. I guess what was that Dragon Con four or five years ago? I think 2011. Yeah, but I mean, it was one of the best panels I've ever been to. You know, a lot of times when you see the big panels like that, they can be so polished or not real. And you know, she smoked on the stage and was just extremely honest about who she was and was funny and had a lot of grace about it. Um, so I think she'll just definitely be missed by the whole community. Um, I always remember today was a little rough. I found out my son called me. He's 11 crying and said, Princess Leia's dead. And so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so it just shows, you know, that one role was so defining. And, you know, one day I hope he, you know, looks in and sees more about other stuff that she did. Yeah, I don't know if you guys watched the uh, uh, one woman play or whatever. I think it was on HBO. But that was pretty interesting, I thought, because it, it it was her talking about her whole history and all the different things, and she was very candid about uh, uh, some of the backstory on the Star Wars stuff, which I thought was really interesting and uh, really liked. Yeah, wishful drinking, it's called. Yeah, yeah, yep. Yeah. Very good. So, thank you to Carrie Fisher for everything that she contributed uh, to to pop culture, to uh, the human condition, I guess. Yeah. And now we are going to move on and talk about the latest entry into the now never-ending Star Wars franchise. Speaking of depressing, let's jump right into it. Oh, boy. (laughs) Yeah. Rogue One. Let's fight. Let's do it. A Star Wars story. Uh, And the S in Star Wars stands for hope. Uh, going going into this movie, I've gotten to the point where I almost try not to have expectations about things. Uh, I like to avoid trailers as much as possible. Now, obviously, I had seen a couple of the trailers for this thing because you, you you can't you know be, being a good nerd and being raised on Star Wars, I can't see first Rogue One trailer now on Entertainment Tonight or whatever and not watch that. But I yeah, do try I'm to the same boat. You got to see it at least once, uh, right. Just to see it, but then after that, like I, I don't want to do the repeated viewing and try and pick it apart to see all the different things. I see it once, and then I'm then I try and avoid it as much as possible. To well, the and the, and they honestly at this point with, with Star Wars, with Marvel movies, with with a lot of franchises, like I, I don't even want a trailer. Just just say new Star Wars movie, go see it you know, on a black a black screen, and that would be enough for me. But uh, going in, I, I honestly, I mean, we knew the story was about the rebels who stole the plans to the Death Star. 
and really that's all I needed to know. I, I didn't put too much thought into who the characters might be, how they would tie into the rebellion, how much of the rebellion we would see. Uh, I, I honestly thought it would be a little smaller scale than what we ended up getting. Uh, the, the thing that I keep coming back to is just how much of the rebellion we did get to see. And, and I was kind of expecting more of a Deadpool thing, like Jen and Cassian show up at the door to the Yavin temple and like, it's weird. We only ever see him on Mothma. It's like we didn't have a budget for <laughs> the rest of you guys, but I, I was, that the the scale of the movie impressed me as much as anything else. So going in, I didn't have a lot of expectations because I didn't want them. I, I wanted to sit back and let it roll over me. Ryan, I know you had gotten yourself super hyped up. Way hyped up. <laughs> I usually try not to get real hyped up about this stuff because, you know, we all remember Phantom Menace <laughs> and the burn it left. But I am such a huge Rebellion fan. Like, growing up as a kid, I never played as the Empire. I was always Luke. I have Rebellion tattoos. I love the Rebellion. And so to get a movie where that was going to be the focus and it was going to be more of, like, the darker, like, seedy side of, like, Star Wars, you know, I was way over-pumped for this movie, even though I tried not to be. (laughs) I remember you saying you just you, you couldn't help it. I couldn't. (laughs) <laughs> what about you, Chad? How, where where were your feelings before seeing it? Uh, I was excited, but I was excited for a different reason other than it being a Star Wars movie. Is I read the prequel novel. I read uh, Rogue One Catalyst by James Lucino. Okay. Um, so good. Which is the first um, novel they've released written by a Star Wars author from before the – I like to call it the takeover, but it's not the takeover. It's not Hong Kong, but the um, <laughs> the sale to Disney. And so I actually went into Rogue One psyched to see what happened to the characters that I had already read about. You know, I mean, it, you know, real quick, the Rogue One Catalyst novel is just the story of, uh, Krennic trying to get, uh, Galen Erso to work on the Death Star and, uh, and against the backdrop of him building the Death Star. And, by the time I got to the end of it, I wanted to know what happened next. So this almost felt like a sequel to the book for me. That's because good this writing. Was my first experience with these with those characters, um, and so you know, you know me. Anything that has Star Wars on, I'm going to be excited for. But and I, I, I wasn't really tempering myself. I was kind of numb going into it, one way or another. I wasn't. It wasn't goosebumps like with Force Awakens. With Force Awakens, it was like, you know, this at least better go over relatively well. You know, like sure, this, sure. this is the first time out. It's like Rogue One. It was, it has the ability to fail or not fail, and it doesn't mean that you know things aren't going to go forward. If Force Awakens had flopped or been awful, then I think very rocky roads would be ahead. And uh, so I wasn't nervous, but I was, I was actually, like I said, I was very interested. I wanted to know, you know, I mean, the book has Galen and his wife and Krennic and Tarkin and and Jin as a little girl and. I just wanted to continue that story that I read about. So that was kind of where I was at. I was excited to see where they were, where they was going to go from there. What about you, Jay? I think it was uh, more in line with you where I had avoided pretty much everything and uh, kind of went in blind. Uh, I don't know what, what exactly I was expecting, um, uh, but it, it definitely I, I, I was thinking it would be a smaller story. I didn't. Uh, I guess initially think uh, it was going to be as big of a 
uh, fight with all the rebellion, with all the ships and every, you know, it's, it's such a big battle. Yeah. In my head, like when, uh, for, you know, as a kid, I always just imagined it was like a couple of people who had snuck it out somehow, like a spy thing. Uh, you know, I never envisioned a full on military, uh, uh, battle, uh, being part of it. Um, so that, that was a surprise. And all, all the characters were new to me. I, I did not, uh, watch, uh, Clone Wars. Um, so I did not, you know, was not familiar with some of the, uh, with that character, you know, uh, right, so right. all, all so, of it was new to me. Um, and I, you know, I don't know what I expected. I, I guess in my head, I always just assumed with it being a, a Disney movie that it, it surely wasn't going to be as depressing and, um, uh, uh, fatal. Uh, you know, I, as it ended up being, I just assumed. I, I'm going to challenge you on that later. I don't find it depressing at all, but go ahead. Yeah, spo- spoiler alert for anybody that has not watched the movie yet. We will be discussing, obviously, everything in the movie. Uh, so, uh, spoilers ahead. And, yeah, I – even though you, we all kind of knew, right up until the very end, it uh, – I wasn't sure. But before we get any further with, with talking about what actually happens in the movie, I want to point one thing out. Now, this is something I feel very strongly about in the discussions that I've had about Rogue One. Uh, Rogue One and Force Awakens, as films, shared really only one common goal, and that's to make money in the Star Wars universe. Aside from that, they have entirely different aspirations as films. Force Awakens had a franchise on its shoulders, like Chad was saying, and had to create a new modern paradigm with new characters for us to love based on the franchise we knew in order to continue that franchise. Uh, With Rogue One, all it had to do was sit comfortably in a space. Uh, It it didn't have to accomplish – we knew the story it was telling – uh, the characters, we had a pretty good idea of where they were going to end up. They needed to be compelling, but they didn't have to carry forward a franchise. So I don't like it when I see people comparing Rogue One to Force Awakens because they're two different things. And if, do you guys, are you on the same no, page I, with yeah, that? Yeah, I 100% agree. Um, they definitely had two different goals. And, and that's one of the things I'm excited about having the a Star Wars movie uh, kind of off to the side is that similar to the Marvel movies, uh, you can have a lot of different types of movies. You can have a heist movie, you can have a war movie, you can have you know di- different themes, and it not fit into the same uh, uh, parameters as the main uh, story. Well, what has just happened, honestly, is the entire world now has now read an expanded universe novel. Yes, um, yeah. you know in, in so for a lot of people who had somewhat, you know, were a little surprised by the approach or or had a harder time with it, to me, it was like, that's what we've been doing for the last 25 years. It's picking up a good comic. It's it, I thought it was a very good Star Wars novel, but it was like picking up a Star Wars novel. That's what the Expanded Universe is, um, is these stories that are outside of the main saga. Outside you know, of the Skywalker of the family. Drama. Yeah, at least my favorite ones. I mean, I know a lot of the books carry on, but... Um, 
you know, Han and Leia and, and Luke, the majority of them, but, you know, some of my favorite ones are the ones that take place in these cracks with characters that you've, um, never met before. And so, yeah, I just, I keep telling people, I'm like, well, you just experienced what I've been experiencing. I guess that's why the, the way the story that it told and the way it told it didn't shock me in any way. You know, right. it didn't, it didn't surprise me because I've, I've seen Star Wars stories told this way and, um, it felt completely natural to me, but you're right. They are, uh, two very different things. I think it can be fair to judge, you know, the quality or there are, there are, there's one aspect that I would like to discuss in comparison to the two that doesn't have to do with what the movies are trying to do. Um, but, but yeah, no, I agree with you. They're, they're, they have two very different end goals. One is starting a new saga, um, while continuing the other and one is a standalone absolutely standalone story so so let's talk a little bit about some of the good uh what and and there were i i as i said i didn't have expectations so there were a lot of surprises for me in this movie uh i didn't even realize forrest whitaker was playing uh saw guerrera going in i knew he was in it but i didn't know he was that character from the clone wars uh and i certainly wasn't expecting some of the neat cameos we've got uh, the one that I think I popped biggest for was Dr. Evazan. Oh, I see. I didn't like that one. Oh, I hated it. That's really? The I That's the one I did not like. Really? Yeah. Oh, I just, I loved it because uh, it just, it was such a surprise to see him turn around. It, it uh, was, but he's going to, he's supposed to be in Mos Eisley like oh, two weeks later and that city gets slagged like within the next day. So him and Pondo Baba better have been on their way to their ship. I, I'm, um, I'm, I have no problem believing that they were. And actually, yeah, you know what? I want to, that one felt a little forced to me. Before I forget, I want to ask everyone because I have, I did not get the opportunity to see this a second time like I wanted to. Uh, I will, but I just didn't get to do it before we recorded tonight. And there's at the end of the movie where we see R2D2 and C3PO. Are they watching Jen's party leave or are they watching the rebel fleet leave? I believe they're watching Jin's party. Okay, that's because I've had discussion, and and we can't. Those of us who've only seen the movie once and haven't yeah, gone back to it yet, but I honestly don't. Remember. No, they're watching the Rebel Fleet. League so how do they, they end yeah. up off, and then they announce they're going to Scarif? So how do they end up on the Tantive Four? Well, why is Leia there? <laughs> like a, a lot of that part makes no sense. Yeah, that's why I'm, I mean, that's why I'm trying to figure out that I that thought Bale I thought Bale was still there at the time in um I thought Bale was still at yeah. Yavin when that happened. I mean, he has the a little bit before that. He has the thing where he says he's going to get Obi-Wan and kind of walks out of the room. So that's close to that time. Well, he, so. he says he says that he, you know, and, and she says, "Don't give the mission to just anybody." He says, "You know, I hope you trust him." And so I trust her with my life. Yeah. Who's to say she's not waiting in the Tanti Four? Right. Yeah. She she wouldn't at this stage. She might not be invited into the inner council meetings. You know, like well, and also at this stage, she's technically still a senator. Yeah. So right. she may not be. It like in with the rebellion, but how did my my question is how did R two D two and C three PO get on the Tantive Four? Yeah, I don't think this. I don't. I think the Tantive Four is still parked there. Um, uh, you so know. they just haven't boarded yet. Yeah, I, I, I mean, okay. I think that's the simplest explanation is they just haven't. You know, Bale just hasn't boarded yet. And know? it's and it's not a like I don't believe for one second that there's an oversight there. 
Like, yeah. I, I don't believe for a second that the creators of this movie forgot the timeline. It's just I'm yeah. trying to place it in yeah, my Yeah, I head. didn't mind that cameo at all because it made sense to me because we knew Bale yeah. was there in the temple. So, And I loved Bale. Um, yeah. I, I, I'd seen Jimmy Smith's again was great. Uh, Mon Mothma, the, you know, the same actress that played. Yeah, I was really glad. Um, one of the things I, I really liked what you're talking about is that it, this movie didn't have prequelitis. As yes. much as Force Awakens did, um, where it did have uh, Genevieve O'Reilly coming back to play Mon Mothma, it did have um, it, it did have Jimmy Smith. You know, uh, it does have Mustafar. Yes, um, you know, it, it's, and, it's and Darth it's Vader's a, castle very much as it was in the expanded universe. It is, yeah, but it, it's not a. It wasn't afraid of acknowledging that the prequels exist. It doesn't mean you have to revel in them. It doesn't mean you have to um, defend them. But it they're still part of the story. And I like the fact that it acknowledged that part of the story and it, it actually did more for the continuity, you know, to me by, by having those actors play those parts. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I, I did like the, like you said, using Mustafar, like not, not making some new location uh, somewhere. Uh, like the, this, this exists, let's use it. Yeah. And it, and it makes a lot of sense if you think about what drives the dark side, which is pain and anger and, he he would want to be reminded of his his pain and his failure every day, you know, to drive him. Before it's we kind of move- odd they don't label that planet though. Did you notice that they label every other planet in that movie, but Mustafar? And I mean, I guess it was because yeah. it was supposed to be kind of like a oh surprise, it's right. Vader's castle. But it's weird when you watch it that every time they go to a planet, that name comes up, except it- for that. Yeah, that's that is true. That's the only one. The only reason we know it is Mustafar is from the Art of Rogue One book. And I, yep. I think it's mainly just because it's supposed to be it's Darth Vader, it's mystery, it's evil, it's it's off putting. Uh and I, I think it would have almost felt odd to have a neat little label on it. Yeah. Uh let's talk before we move on, because I, I wanna No, I want the more surprises. Uh, yeah, yeah. We, I definitely want to talk more surprises. Um real quick I want to touch on Grand Moff Tarkin and yep. Princess Leia. Mm-hmm. Tarkin I had no idea he was gonna be in it so much. No, I don't and think anybody did. Not for one second was did the effects used to create that character take me out of the movie. Uh, they did me a couple of times. Did they? Yeah, it looked a little odd to me a couple of times, but I, I totally get it. Uh, you totally had to have him there um, for as much, you know, uh, to, to bridging the gap between the two movies and A New Hope. You know, by A New Hope, that's his Death Star. So I think you had to have him in play. You know, uh, working his thing uh, in order to take over. So uh, it, it's a couple of times it looked a little weird and a little off to me. It, it, it still didn't. I didn't mind it. I, I totally understood it and was fine with it. I have a. I had a. Um, it was a little distracting me at first, and I. But one of the reasons I think, and this has happened the same in um, Captain America: Civil War when they put up uh, less than zero age Robert Downey Jr. for that minute there. Yeah. Um, it looks great, but it doesn't matter. In the back of my head, I know it's not real completely. I know that's not that person. So I think when we, I think the effects are fantastic in, in Tarkin. I also, but I think that unfortunately, just that part of my brain is looking to see it be wrong because right, right. I just know it's not him. It just isn't. And well, so, that's a great point. So, so I, you know, um, I, my children are too young, but has anyone taken, 
an eight-year-old, a ten-year-old to see this, and do they comment on the fact that it's not a real person? Does it feel like a real person to someone who doesn't yeah. know Peter Cushing's? That's the question to me. Yeah, I took my, my nine-year-old. She had no uh, no comment whatsoever. It, it, okay. That wasn't even on her radar as far as things to talk about the movie afterwards. What okay. threw us all off, because my son's nine and he didn't think a thing of Tarkin, uh, but the Princess Leia threw all of us off. Oh, I loved that. To me, oh, I loved it. I, I didn't, I didn't find any problem with it. But to me, it was much stranger seeing Prince. Like Peter Cushing has been gone for years, um, yes. and he is appearing in this film as I last remember him, essentially, because he he really didn't age a whole lot between 1980 and between his passing, no. or uh, 77, I guess. Yeah. Uh, whereas. Princess Leia in my head, I know what Carrie Fisher looks like now. I know what she sounds like now. When a year ago we just saw her in a movie. Right. And the, so there was there was actually some cognitive dissonance there. Like that there was like, ah, that's that's odd. But I love it. I love that it's in there. And, and I know it some people didn't want her to turn around. Um they just thought the back of her head, but I think after what they'd done with Tarkin Right. I think had that, to that they had to commit to that. They yeah, had to yeah. commit to that. And it's only one shot. And I think actually the shot looks really good. Yeah, um, it totally does. So, uh, but, but, you know, I, I'll, I'll give them credit. Th- that, especially the Tarkin thing, those are ballsy moves. Those are, that's very ballsy to do that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, um, not from a storytelling point of view, but I don't think anyone would have faulted them for just recasting Tarkin. You know, I don't. I don't think we would have come out of that complaining that they had recast him. Right. So it's a it, it's a it's a really gutsy thing to say we're going to take this iconic because he's not just iconic from Star Wars. He's iconic from film in general. If anyone's a horror fan, I mean, yeah. you know, some Peter Cushing. So it's not just you know, it's not like they you know took the guy who played you know Dak and turned him into a CG character and whatever. Um, they took a, a well-known person and he's got a bigger role in this as big of a role in this as he has in a new hope. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. If right. not bigger, do we know if they paid his family for that? They the family thank, did, uh, sign off on it. So they, I'm sure thank they, his, they thank his estate in the credits. They thank Carrie Fisher and the Tarkin, or Tarkin estate, the, um, <laughs> and, and the Cushing's estate in the credits. Um, the one thing that I thought was interesting, though, is that General Dodonna is in it, yep. and General Dodonna is played by Barristan Selmy from Game of Thrones, um, uh, was, um, Ian uh, McElhaney, who play, who's from Game of Thrones, plays General Dodonna, and I, after, in that, you meet him before then, and so when I saw Tarkin, I was like, he's only in like two shots, why didn't they do the same thing right, for right. him? But that might have been an issue with his estate. As well, you yeah. know, I mean, you have to get yeah, permission no things like that. So it was it was interesting to me that they recast Dodonna of all people. Um, but it could also be that stuff. That process is so expensive; it is so unbelievably expensive. Every every frame that Tarkin is in costs more than you know all of our cars combined. And so the the um, uh, they probably just said like, you know what, only like. 25 geeks or 100 geeks are going to care about General Jan Dodonna. So let's, um, we don't, we just, we'll just put a beard on a guy. It's fine. Well, and that makes it so surprising that they did it for Red Leader and Gold Leader. Well, that's, uh, I saw something that they found like, uh, old footage that wasn't used in the original like Star Wars. And so, yeah, so it was footage that was like cut footage. So they just digitized the, the old footage that was originally shot. 
those phrases and the stuff they're saying that was originally shot for the first Star Wars. I was uh, going to say, yeah, my favorite surprise was uh, Drew Healy and Angus McGinnis are their names for Red Leader and Gold uh, Leader. That was the moment I jumped out of my seat. That was that was the like really um, geek like you know poker on my ass moment where I just got really excited. It's it's not as delightful as that, but the one that uh, that kind of hit me was when Red Five goes down. Oh yeah, <laughs> so the minute good. they said Red so Five, I was yeah, like, oh, buddy, you're in trouble. Yeah, right. We we know. <laughs> We gotta make room. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I thought that, that was a nice a, nod. Yeah, that some farm really kid that's never drove a starship is about to take your job. That, that's what uh, Zack Snyder could have would have called a fun little reference. Right, exactly. <laughs> so much beloved character. Yeah, my I think my brother turned to me. and He's like, "Well, Luke's got his spot now." Yeah, he just got, it, it, it hit home with him too. Yeah, I thought that was really. I thought that was really funny. So what else do we have? Any other cameos or surprises? Well, there was. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Go ahead. Rebels. The stuff yes. they put in yes. for Rebels, I was so excited. I knew, I guess I had seen that the ghost was in the one shot on the TV mm-hmm. trailer. That had leaked. Um, but then when they call out Hera's name when they're walking through Yavin, that one took me a second. Like I heard the name. Uh, General, what's, I can't remember her last Sandula. name. Yeah. They, yeah, Sandula. They say General Sandula, and like it clicked in my head. I was like, I know that, I know that, Hera. Yeah. Um, and then after I'd seen it, and then I was looking up stuff, you know, to point out the chopper goes by. So on the second time I saw it, I could see chopper. And you can hear him too, which I didn't even notice that you could hear him the first time. Yeah, that blew my mind seeing that still. I, I still haven't, uh, like I said, seen it again, but seeing the still, the still frame of chopper. Where was he in Yavin? It's when the uh, communications uh, officer comes out to talk to Mon Mothma. You see Chopper go by. And it's crazy seeing a real Chopper. I was like, oh, this is awesome. And then the ghost is in that scene, too, on the ground. Yeah, it's in several shots. Yeah. Um, And and I like it, too, because Rebels, like, after seeing Rogue One, you kind of realize now a lot of what Rebels is doing. Like the way that they're setting up different cells and how you get your start, like the starships are going here and there and that yeah. there's different groups in the rebellion that don't get along sometimes. Yeah. That yeah, I, I really, really like really that. Yeah. I, I loved what we got to see of the rebellion that we got to see that, like you said, there are different factions. They don't, they don't agree. Uh, and we got to see how dirty it is. I mean, essentially, this is a terrorist group. Cassian's, by, Cassian's by, not fucking around. Yeah, well, and yeah, that first scene with him, that was uh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. brutal. Uh, it's, I mean, it's, by the definition of the ruling body of this galaxy, they are terrorists, and this movie doesn't shy away from depicting them as such. And I, I appreciated that. I appreciated the conflict that we got to see, you know, just within Cassian. You know, when he has the opportunity to to uh, assassinate. Or so, and and just I I liked his character a lot. I've heard people describe him as, as bland. Well, I've heard people say unflattering things about all the characters in this movie, and I don't agree with any of them. Um, I found Cassian to be something that we really haven't seen before in a Star Wars character in the movies, anyway. A real spy, uh, yes. Yeah. Um, somebody who's he's a good guy, but he's doing dirty work. Yeah, even more so than Han Solo. Han Solo was always kind of like the the guy on the fringes, but he takes it to a whole other level. Yeah, the, this is because you know we we never really saw Dirty Han Solo, uh, but with Cassian Andor, we, maybe in, maybe in two years, <laughs> right? Yeah, 
I, and I'm, that's what I'm hoping. Uh, right now, the closest thing we've got is Dr. Afro, but we'll talk about the comics some other uh, time. Dr. Oh, Dr. Afro. God, I love Dr. Afro. Um, <laughs> no, I, I think, uh, I think you're right. I liked, I liked the fact that it showed how many voices, that the rebellion was more of a confederacy at this point, um, that there are so many voices yelling at each other. Um, uh, it, I think you're right. It does, it does equate to rebels. Um, but I also like how it kind of, though I agree with you that it depicts them as terrorists, but it also draws the line a little bit where to still keep them somewhat heroic, where saws people like saws tactics yes. are more are yes. too extreme for Mon Mothma. She wants to have more of a, you know, however, however ridiculous it sounds, uh, a more respectable, a more well, you know, as, as bloodless as possible. Rebellion, right? Yeah. And Saw's like, no, we're just going to start ambushing people and killing people, and 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 so it, it, you know, I would say that the movie depicts Saw's group as pure terrorists. Yes. You know, and the rebels much more as a revolutionary unit, which. Yes, from the point of view of the Empire, is still going to be terrorists. But I thought they did a good job of drawing the distinction between those two groups to not villainize them too much or to not make them as, as um, uh, I don't know, bloodthirsty as, as they could have been. Right. Well, it wasn't, it wasn't the bright, shiny rebel alliance of our youth. No. But it also was, you know, they, they, they certainly weren't villainous in any way, but you did get to see there were hardships involved with their goals. Well, and one thing I kind of like that I picked up on the second or third time I saw it, and I don't know if it was a intentional kind of parallel to the prequels, but when you see them start to discuss and you know figure out if they're going to go attack, and they are having all these conversations, and then they vote and they decide not to, it felt very much like this is how the Senate ran and all the prequels in the Republic, and that's why they failed. Right. It's because this kept happening. And so you see them be like, no, if we're going to do this, we have to attack now. And so a lot of those people that are in that room were probably around for the Republic Senate. And so it kind of felt like they were making a point of that. Yeah. Yeah. I think so that, that the, the, the last remnants of, of that inability to, to stay on the same page were still kind of affecting things. And it's interesting because the, the whole message of this movie is hope. Mm-hmm. And the story that follows it is called A New Hope. And it almost, you know, seeing the rebellion this way, it almost brings even more impact to Luke Skywalker's appearance in that he is kind of the figurehead that can bring things together for the rebellion. Well, and that the destruction of the Death Star is the, the, this, this mission and, and the fact that um, a lot of people had to kind of go against orders in order to make this mission happen. Um, and then the result of this mission being the destruction of the Death Star is what galvanizes the rebellion. Yes. You know, it, it, you can almost think that like, yeah, these things are still squabbling, but once the Death Star plans are secured and once the power of the Death Star is revealed to the rebellion, that they, I almost see that that's when they gel. You know, mm-hmm. that's when they're gonna, they're gonna gel and become the military unit, um, the, the Continental Army so to speak, that they become. Um, and it's all galvanized by, yes, by Luke, but more specifically by the victory at the Battle of Yavin. And that's why I think you see the rebellion from then forward being a much more homogenous unit. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so let's talk about uh, Cassian Andor's pals on this mission, because we, we do meet him. Uh, well, technically, we meet Jen first. <sighs> yes. Uh, 
Jen, who is another female protagonist and who is completely different from Ray. Yep. Uh, and man, just what a huge character that I'm almost bummed. We don't really have much more to explore with her. Like, I don't know if I could see a, a tie in comic or anything because we kind of know everything about her that, well, that we could know. We don't know why, you know, all the trouble she was in, and she was with Saw for a while. I mean, he says, you know, she was one of my greatest soldiers. That's what I was going to mention. He, meant, he he calls her a soldier, and yeah. so there's probably adventures to be had there in the comics. I, I well, hope so. And we know Saw is coming to Rebels. Yeah. And so in that time frame about where they are, she should still be with him, I think. So maybe yeah. she'll show up on Rebels. I mean, they her contract is not up yet. She has additional stuff in it. Well, that's just standard operating procedure, I think, for all these people. So, and, it's true. And, but they could do Jim without her too if they wanted to. I mean, it's cool that Forrest Whitaker is going to do the voice on Rebels, but it's not yeah. necessary that she does or that he does. Right. Um, but no, you're right. I th- it, 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 there was, I mean, people kept pushing Kathy Kennedy before the movie came out whether there was going to be a sequel, and she just kept going like, I don't think so. <laughs> and uh, a lot of us knew why. Um, because I've, we've all seen the Dirty Dozen, and so um, I, I kind of, as soon as they announced the movie, I was like, "Well, they—they they, none of them are going to make it out of this thing," and so I wasn't expecting a sequel anyway. So. Now, were any of you like I was, like up until the very, very end on the beach, kind of thinking, "Well, maybe somebody will get out of this"? That was me, totally. Like, yeah. uh, I, I again with it being like a uh, one of the newer movies since Disney took over. I just assumed there was no way they were going to be able to make this movie with everyone dying. Uh, that I, I thought surely there was, you know, there was going to be the token one or two that was somehow going to be able to sneak out and get out. So, um, yeah, once they hit the beach, you know, it, it was done. And I, I definitely called my uh, nine-year-old uh, uh, crying at least once, if not twice, at a couple of the uh, the deaths. Um, because I, you know, again, in my opinion, I thought it was pretty depressing. It was good, but it's still depressing to to uh, really like these characters, only to see them die uh, at the end. It's, yeah, I mean, I thought, it's absolutely what I expected. Uh, and, I thought and, as soon as Cassian and, and Jin were kind of like, we're stuck here, like we don't have a way out. They kind of even basically say that in the um, when they're getting the data. In the, oh, the yeah, weird, yeah. weird ass data room, you know, they kind of say like the shields up. We just have to get the information out of here. Yeah. I was like, yeah, okay, yeah, they're not getting out. They, I, mean, well, I already they, had the implication, but they kind of almost just say it. Like, the movie definitely prepares you for for what's coming. They're not trying to. That's the thing. Is they're not trying yeah. to survive. They're, they're not. They're trying, trying to, to get, accomplish their mission. They're not trying to get out of there. Yeah. So Jay was depressed, I, and I was I was a little concerned. I because after the movie was over, I talked to my son, and I was like, hey, how do you feel? Are you you all right? And and he looks up and he's like, none of them are in A New Hope. We knew they weren't going to make it. <laughs> yep, <laughs> I was like, much. Yeah. okay, Mr. Practicality here. Um, well, the reason I didn't find it exceptionally depressing is that last two minutes. I think that the if that last two minutes, and, and we can argue maybe some of the logistics of it, though none of that bothered me, that last two minutes was so essential to not making it, in my opinion, a giant bummer. Yeah. You know, you know, because yeah, it's it's a suicide mission. It, it, you remember, this movie is 
despite the fact that the series is called Star Wars, this is the mo- closest they've ever had to making a war movie. Yeah. And, um, and so when it has that, you know, when, when, when everybody's done at the end and then it cuts up to the rebels in their familiar outfits and my brother and I started chanting Tan T4, Tan T4, Tan T4. <laughs> and that two minutes I thought was so gloriously Star Warsy, um, with of course seeing Vader fighting in a way we've never seen him in any movie ever. And I thought that part was just pure, such to me, pure kind of geek gasm and leading up to Leia saying hope that that's what they died for. They died for hope. And I guess in a, um, not in a personal way, but you know, not in like, like if they were my family, I'd be upset, but in a storytelling way, um, their deaths had a purpose and a meaning to them. And we also know that their efforts are not in vain. Right. We also know that their efforts pay off in being reminded, having the hand, the plans handed to Leia in the, what I thought was that really fun kind of almost, um, relay sequence where they're trying to get the plans into the ship. Um, having the plans handed straight to her and yeah, she says the word hope and it's a little corny, but that's the theme of the thing and it's a big theme in Star Wars. But to me, knowing that, yeah, that tape is going to be used and they're going to blow that damn thing up. That <laughs> did it, didn't make it sad to me, made it like they did what they set out to do. That you know, gigantic, they, strangely old school, like dat tape looking thing. I love that though. I love when they keep the technology consistent. Consistent. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Let's well, talk. You mentioned. And I think, well, and I think when you, so much of the theme of the movie was that the rebellion's not clean. Like, you know, they have to do stuff and things happen that are terrible. And I think, I think I knew they were going to die when Cassian makes that speech that like, I've got to make this all worth something. Like I've done all this stuff. And something, right, right. Something's got to be worth it. And I was like, Oh, you're dead. Yeah, like Bo- you're going <laughs> to, it's like noble sacrifice time. Well, and speaking of Bodhi, I loved Bodhi's death more than any of them as far as how it was because it wasn't this. I mean, he plugged the thing in and that, you know, it went across, but it was such not a it was just heroic ugly. giant yeah. moment. It was just It, it was just quick moment. and ugly. Yeah. One funny thing about Bodhi I'd like to bring up, however, is that they they say his – they call him the pilot more than they call him Bodhi in the mm-hmm. movie, right? They call yeah. him the pilot. I count at least 7,300 times. I'll check it the second time. But <laughs> they all call him the pilot. We never see him fly one fucking time. <laughs> and I kept waiting for that moment where – you know, because he says something about wanting to make a difference or wanting to contribute, and you're like, oh, he's dead. You were waiting for him to build his spaceship like many. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> I was waiting for the moment where he got behind the controls and, like, did something amazing, and I thought that's how he would go out. And I don't I, – I agree with you. I liked, the, I liked his, his end beats, and I thought it was good. I just thought it was funny. They're like, are you the pilot? I'm the pilot. He's the pilot. They've got the pilot. Where's the pilot? Is he the pilot? <laughs> and then you never see him fly anything. Not <laughs> everybody can go out – in a blaze of glory, hauling their gigantic laser pulsed cannon, the Imperial <laughs> but forces. But it's literally the only defining characteristic he has is he is a pilot. Yeah. <laughs> he doesn't and fly. I was confused that Saw Gerrera made this big thing that his creepy mind monster was going to make Bodhi insane and all crazy because he taps into his brain. And then he's just kind of confused for five minutes. And yeah. Then, that and off. Yeah, I thought we were going to get like, he's nutty now. and That scene could have gone. But that scene could yeah, have Yeah, it, it really could have. It had no consequence in the story. I, I think the only reason it was there was to display Saw Gerrera's ruthlessness, maybe. Yeah, but then, but the thing is, if it, 
if it really tells the truth, then when Jin shows up, he's like, are you here for me? Did they send you for me? He's still paranoid about all this. He still yeah. doesn't believe it, even though he's read Bodhi's mind with this thing. So that didn't line up. Yeah, that, that, that You know, because he's still being paranoid about it. So I just thought I was watching it and I was like, oh, okay. But then, yeah, all he has to do is like throw a couple cold water in his face or, you know, Black yeah, Widow right. just has to hit Hawkeye really hard. And <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He gets out of his trance and everything's okay. And so I, I, I mentioned that. What was that, that stupid thing called Boar Gullet? Right. Um, yeah. that, that could have been, that could have been snipped. <laughs> well, and to loop back around, the way they get him out of it is they go, are you the pilot? And he goes, right. yes, I'm the pilot. And then he's good. <laughs> That's right. I am the pilot. I am the, I am the pumpkin king. I am the pilot. Um, and, uh, and I will show you by hacking computers and using navigation codes and plugging things in, but not flying damn And by pilot. wearing very piloty headgear. And by wa- wearing these goggles that I will never actually use. But you got to remember, I am the pilot. So before we get too far away, you mentioned Darth Vader's uh, absolutely incredible scene. And uh, like everything else about this movie, we got more Vader than I was expecting. Uh, And and it wasn't a ton of Vader, but it felt very much to me. And, and, you know, I'm not going to go so far as to suggest that there was influence. This felt to me like Kieran Gillen's Darth Vader from the comics. Yes, it does. And It's it's felt like the Vader we've always wanted to see. uh, Yes. And and, (sighs) As much as there's no reason for them to ever adapt those comics, yeah. it made me want a Darth Vader movie very badly. Yeah, I thought – the reason I knew that we'd probably get another scene was that they have the one scene with him in Krennic, which um, is fine, except for uh, one of my complaints on my list is he makes a pun. No. Yeah, I no, don't care for that. No. But he doesn't do anything in the scene but talk. And so I thought, oh, I don't think they're going to just leave it at that. And so when Tarkin goes, Vader will clean up the, will clean up the fleet. I was like, oh yeah. All right. Okay. <laughs> Here we go. All right. They're, they're, they're not going to, you know, they, they can't, that's, you know, it's, it's Chekhov Sith Lord. You can't just drop right. that name and not pull the trigger on that. So, um, and I love that it was a mirror image in a way of the scene in a new hope when the stormtroopers come through the wall, yes. but he's alone. Because yes. he really doesn't need those guys. <laughs> you know, it was like I, I was waiting for the white stormtroopers to come through the hole and it to be kind of a similar scene to the original. I was like, oh, no, just him. Just him. That's all he needs. Yeah, all that right. was and, – and he looked great. Uh, I, don't, I don't know what the combination of – you know, I'm sure there was a full suit. I don't know if it was enhanced any because I can't imagine some of the movements he was doing were – you know, I'm sure the cape was digital or whatever – but it, it I, I all looked, he looked great by not looking great in a way too, because he his costume much more looked a little cheaper. Well, it was it was the New Hope because costume. it was the New Hope it costume. Didn't, it didn't um, have the little chain. It yeah. didn't have. Uh, it, it, yeah, it was it was not. It's all the little cheap, little, little more plasticky, yes. a little more rubbery. Yes, um, in the same way that the New New Hope costume was. Um, and, they made uh, sure. I like that. Yeah, they made sure you saw the red lenses. They were yes, yes. They All were right, sorry about that. So here we go. Okay. <laughs> One of the big things I disliked about the movie Uh-oh. was the Vader hallway scene. <laughs> what? I loved it. What's the matter? Explain yourself. <sighs> Disqualified. Go. Well, go. Here's the thing. For me, all right, putting comics and everything else I read aside, by this point and in transitioning into a new hope, Vader for me is. He's stiff now and he's older and, you know, I like the idea that he lost a lot of his power when Anakin got cut to hell. Um, 
And so, you know, when we see him later, he's more stiff and can't do all these fancy moves anymore. And so when that scene happened, I was like, good lord, this is just fan service. And I really honestly wanted to see a Star Wars movie without a lightsaber. No lightsabers. I didn't want to see it. I well, was, this, I this we wasn't going to be that it. one, though. I know. But it, but it, it is. I mean, it's, 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 it's one minute. And, and I, I understand what you're saying, but... The fact is that all those other times he's facing off against other force users and this he's facing off against a bunch of peons in a hallway. And I don't think he's not doing like Yoda flips. Oh no. No. He's he's just using the force to push them around and everything, right? Yeah. He's not Yeah, it could have been so much worse. Imagine if he'd been doing like Matrix runs up the wall. <laughs> right, right, exactly. And he can't <laughs> and he can't he can't really pull that shit with Obi Wan. Right. So, yeah. So I mean, I know I know what you're saying, and and it's almost. Here's the thing: we've retconned the fight in A New Hope, right? By saying it's because they're old and their powers are depleted, right? When it's really because that's just what they could afford to stage and do at the time. Yeah. So we've kind of, in our minds and in fandom, created an excuse for why that fight is honestly kind of lame, and so, and so I agree with what you're talking about that that. It doesn't quite match up with the Vader we're going to see fighting Obi-Wan in a couple weeks, um, or however long it is. But against a bunch of red shirts in a hallway, like, he's just going to tear through them and, and, yeah. and, and rage. So that, it didn't bother me, but I, I do understand. I do understand exactly what you're saying. Well, and then part of that scene that bothered me too is, you know, that leads him to walking in and he sees the Tana 4, like, taken off, right? So he's seen it. We know the plans are there. He knows it. So why the hell, at the beginning of A New Hope, are we hearing about, oh, no, we're totally a diplomatic mission here. And, uh, well, they're a like, l- why even bother? Like, you know he just saw you. He doesn't necessarily know that that's the Tantive Four, though, because, I mean, that's that's a common uh, – is that Corellian Corvette? Is that what that is? Uh, yes, it's Corellian yeah. um, There are a C- lot of those. C-70 Corvette. It's, it's like, like if if somebody – you know, robbed your shit and drove off in a Dodge van. You don't necessarily know it's the same Dodge van. And he also doesn't know Leia's on it, right? He doesn't right. see her because in the original movie he says, you know, just bring me the passengers. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think some people like to speculate that maybe this takes place just hours before New Hope. It could be weeks. There could yeah. be a manhunt going on for this ship, you know, um, oh, that, I mean, if JJ was directed it, it takes place 30 seconds later because his hyperspace <laughs> only lasts five seconds, but, yeah. um, we don't know exactly how much time. And remember he's stranded on, he's standing there on a deserted ship. Right. Um, so he's got to get back to his ship. They've got to find a way to track this thing that they apparently don't have, you know, that they don't have a tracking device planted on. So I can see it being that there is a, a story that I don't think would be particularly compelling, but there is a story of them, how they find it, how they chase down the ship. Let's, let's talk about the, the space battle. Oh yeah. Because again, not expecting it, not expecting anything near that scale, uh, with the empire and the rebellion. I can't decide, and this is only because I still have not seen the movie again. Uh, if it, if, I like it more than the one that opens Revenge of the Sith. Because say what you will about the prequels, that battle over Coruscant at the beginning of Revenge of the Sith is fantastic. Uh, and this, is it's silly to say about a bunch of CG, but it felt more real. It did. Uh, I, I thought this was the best space battle they've ever done. I, it, it was pretty amazing. And, and it blew me away like that it even happened. Let not alone a, not emotionally. So 
Um, yeah. I still say the Battle of Yavin emotionally has the most kind of stakes to it and the best dramatics to it, but you know how I feel about that scene. Sure. But just if, as for pure spectacle, seeing capital ships and God, I loved, I absolutely loved, um, I called him Fat Akbar, um, <laughs> but, uh, General Radis, Admiral Radis, um, I loved him and I, I, I loved the capital ships and the fighters and, and it felt like a real, it, it didn't feel to me like a giant space battle. It felt to me like a, a skirmish. It wasn't, um, it's not the entirety of the rebel fleet, I don't think. And it's not definitely not the entirety of the Imperial fleet. Um, but yeah, I thought it was, at least on a spectacle level, the best space battle that's ever been in a Star Wars movie. So. I loved how they showed, you know, and the other movies, we see Admiral Akbar on his, the Mon Calamari ships, how he kind of floats on his chair all around. And you never really see what it's for besides looking out. So I like that they showed that on it, he shoots out and looks down and can see yeah. 360. Yeah. It makes yeah. a lot more sense for a space battle why it's like that. It was a cool design on the ship, too. Mm-hmm. Oh, and uh, speaking of, of our pilots and, and whatnot, uh, Ben Daniels as General Merrick yeah. didn't get a lot of screen time, but uh, after The Exorcist on Fox, I absolutely love that guy. Oh, is he on that? Yeah, and, yeah he's and, – well, and what's funny is he plays sort of an analog to the Father Merrick character Oh yeah, from The Exorcist, and he's General Merrick in this. Uh but yeah, if anybody who has not seen uh, the Exorcist television show, it, it is my favorite show of the year, and I highly, highly recommend it. Uh, but yeah, just seeing him uh, it was was cool, and it took me a minute to realize that it was him. Did anybody uh, else notice when though when the the big the battle starts and we see Red Leader and Gold Leader? I think Red Leader's name is Dave. In, um, like the actual character from the book, but that um, when they show up, immediately he says, "All right, red group, gold group, you cover the fleet. Blue group, you head to the surface." Yeah, and I'm like, "Yeah, that's so all y'all can die because <laughs> red leader and gold leader got to get out of this." Yeah, we we never it, see. So it was a little, blue. yeah, you know, it was it was it was a little. I was a little aware of it, but it, it again, what the thing that I don't think people Star Wars is inherently a little goofy, so yeah. I don't mind little winks like that or, or little things like that you know it, it does inherently have a silliness to it that um so yeah that was a very self-aware kind of moment where it's like keep these guys up here where they can get the hyperspace real easy um because i think everyone who gets through the shield isn't coming back but um yeah i just thought that was a fun little kind of bit not as fun as the rogue five death though oh and there was another good time with rebels there with the hammerhead ships yes. like using those to push things and- yeah why they have them? Yeah, that was that scene was beautiful. Pushing the uh, the star destroyer, and that kind of treated the capital ship combat like naval combat more than we've ever seen before, yeah. right? Because you know, naval combat's not just shooting at each other; it's ramming and it's it's boarding, and so that battle was treated much more like a like a, a battle at sea than a battle in the stars. Anybody else got any more thoughts about the big battle before we move on to our uh, our villain Orson Krennic? The Empire really needs to put better shielding on the uh, communication sphere because that thing gets blown up every movie. <laughs> every movie. Maybe not put the big switch uh, out in the outlier spot. They can will shut down everything. <laughs> Bad design all the way around. Let's talk about uh, director Krennic and Ben Mendelsohn's performance as that character. a Somebody who... 
completely and utterly believes in what the Empire is doing and who has kind of a classic undervillain story of he, he got everything going and, and is the uh, the impetus behind this thing. And he, you know, thanks to bureaucracy and the nature of the Empire, gets it all taken away from him. I think one of the things I liked best about how they handled him was kind of the subtle way that he talks different, his speaking voice, than the rest of the Imperial higher-ups. You know, the rest of them have this you know, more polished English accent, mm-hmm. whereas he speaks with a more not quite as polished because yeah. he's not from that upper echelon and he's kind of worked his way here and then gets screwed over by him. I thought it was a really good way to show that. And holy shit, that scene between him and CGI Cushing, where Cushing just takes it all, was fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, no, I liked him a lot. And again, I, since I had read the novel, I was even more invested in the character. Um, and, and knew pretty much his entire backstory. Uh, so, so it's one of those rare cases where I think reading one of the books actually brought me, brought more to the movie. And so I was already, said I was already invested in him and Galen's relationship from, you know, from the, while I was sitting through the Dunkirk footage so um before the movie so uh, I, I thought he was i thought he was great and, and you're right he's not i did he he's he's a bad guy and he's a villain i didn't see him as as evil in yeah. that way i saw him as like you said he's a man who he's trying to rise through the ranks he's trying to succeed he's trying to prove himself and, and he's he a is, believer and he's a believer and he has shepherded this project for 20 years in and he it's so important to him it's it to get the emperor's approval you know, for his own ambitions, yes. but also because he's a believer in the empire. And so when Tarkin comes in to take it away from him to, to take command, because he's also not, but he's also not a man who's very well respected. Right. You know, and, and I think you kind of get that feeling that he is not, he's not, and he's an, he's an, a very unimportant, important man. Well, it feels like his, his white cloak and his almost fancier than they need to be clothes is almost yes. him compensating. And like new money, right? I yeah, mean, that's kind of the yeah, new yeah. money idea. Yeah, yeah like, absolutely. Saying, like Ryan was saying, yeah, yeah, I, I like them. Uh, we we've got we left behind some of our heroic rebels. I, I gave a brief mention to uh, Bays, but let's talk about Chirrut and Bays yep. and how they just kind of yeah. get get found and get caught up in this mission and then die. When they called them the Guardians of the Wills, uh, I about wheeled in my seat <laughs> like that is so great yeah, uh, yeah, they, no, I, yeah I like that yeah and I kind of I mean it's one of those things where like it's one of those things where I'd love for them to go more into that like I'd like to read more about who they are um, and I think with them too I saw some criticism online about how uh, Jen wears the uh, kyber crystal around her neck and how people thought that was going to be big later in the movie or it didn't lead anywhere but really that's what hooks her up with them like he senses it and that's how all that starts and so I guess a lot of people miss that or overlooked it well it's also primarily the connection to her father though is what yeah. the crystal's about it's not it doesn't it's not it doesn't have to fit into a hole or something to blow something up at the end of the movie it's not a video game like it it's just a symbol of her holding on to that small bit of her father for uh for the listeners who don't know uh, let's talk about the guardians of the wills 
Go ahead, Chad. Yeah, so originally, if you go back to the earlier drafts of what would become A New Hope, and then also, I believe, the novelization by George Lucas, <laughs> Alan Dean Foster, um, uh, it's called The Star Wars, I think it was From the Adventures of Luke Skywalker, or something like that, and then also some of the copies or some of the versions say from the Journal of the Wills, W H I L L S, and the what that means has never really been defined. It's always been a very vague thing. One of those million of just weird ideas that Lucas had during the fever dream that was when he created this whole thing. Sure. And what I think this goes to show is that the wills are, yeah, like the. The sages, the the people who who chronicle the Jedi and things like that, you know, or who who um, uh, who are telling this kind of kind of the whole reason we know this story is because the wills have written it down, right, or passed it down through the ages. And the guardians of the wills, to me, I guess, were kind of a a sect of that or a group of the wills that were that were after the fall were, you know, tasked themselves maybe with defending the Jedi temples around the world or, yeah. or sorry, around the galaxy is what it felt like to me. But I think, I think the implication is in the original book that said that the wills are the whole reason we're hearing all of this in the same way that the reason you're reading the Hobbit is because Bilbo's written it down. Right, right. You know, so, so all it's right. a really, it's a really deep cut reference. I mean, it's it's a very deep cut reference that only a very small percentage of the audience would even even it even hit hit them. So, so we get Faze uh, and Chirrut, who are super best pals forever. Yep. Who Not just quite forever. well, yeah, but forever as far as they're concerned. Yeah, and are just kind of your 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 common. We're gonna get these people together and do a mission, kind of. Yeah, guys. they got a, you got a you got a monk and a mercenary. Yeah, it's like it, a D and D party. But they're they're fun. Uh, the actors that played them were great. They were engaging for the time that they were on the screen, uh, and I, I just enjoyed seeing them do their thing. And I feel like well, Donnie we, Yen Donnie Yen's a Hong Kong legend. So, yeah, uh, who who played Sherrod? So it was great to see him. Well, and they both. They both, we got to see enough of them doing their thing. I didn't feel let down by like, well, we didn't really get enough samurai stuff. We didn't get enough this guy's giant gun. Like, we, we got surfed pretty well. Here, this does reveal a flaw in, in these movies that I like to point out just real quickly is that, man, they could have used that gun on Endor. And, yeah. <laughs> and it's a problem with all these films is, is that, and, and I understand it, but they've always got to come up with a cool new weapon, and they've always got to come up, everyone's got to come up with cool new stormtroopers, and cool new ships, and it, that's okay with the prequels in a way, but with this, it's kind of like, the technology is like better than the stuff you see in the in the movies sometimes, and I was just looking at that machine gun going like, we never saw anything like that. Well, I was um, kind of under the impression that that was his own. Maybe it was homemade. Thing, yeah, it could have been. And yeah, and you know they never expressly said just like that. They, they, you know, they, if they would have had a couple of these in the Tanti Four, it might have been a different. Story, <laughs> you know. No, I th- I think that's part of what made him special. Is that was kind of his baby. Right. So okay. that uh, makes sense. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Well, and it's big and heavy, and you still don't have to clunk it around, and so you couldn't move fast on indoor with it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It was just I don't know. It was just funny because you're like, man, that thing's brutal. And then uh, we we also get and this this was the point where it struck me that everybody was going down was when K two S O 
bought it. Oh, dude, that's that's the reason my wife will never watch the movie. Like, I was so when K two S O goes down, I was like, oh shit, my wife's never gonna watch this because <laughs> she can't watch dogs die in movies, and this is the same thing. Yeah, it absolutely is. And Alan Tudyk, just absolutely fantastic with a non annoying British accent. It was really yeah. Weird. We should talk about the character too because the character was a lot of fun. Yeah, that, well, fun. the character was great because we've had. Uh, those of us who've been with the expanded universe for any amount of time are, are quite familiar with droids that don't have issues with, you know, fighting, killing, whatever. But K2SO has this fantastic backstory of being an Imperial droid that was captured by the Alliance and reprogrammed. Was he actually repro- reprogrammed by Cassian? I don't think that's clear. Um, okay. I did, I did think that the maybe my favorite line in the movie was, uh, Jin, I'm with you. Master Cassian says I have to be. Yeah, well, I think that, it's that. And uh, did you know that was wasn't me? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was great too. Yeah. Yeah, he definitely had some of the best lines in the whole movie. Yeah, well, he he, was, he had. To, I mean, you had to lighten things up, and he did a great job of it. Which made his death, you know, his death, his destruction, like really tragic and sad. It was. It reminded me of like when you know Johnny Five dies, and like. Shortcut, short circuit two, you know, where the robot's just kind of winding down and getting torn apart. And, and, uh, yeah, it was, it was actually to me the, oddly the saddest death. Well, it was um, the most, yeah. it felt like the most brutal death. Yeah, yeah, which they can get away was, with because it's a robot. So. He was in the act of allowing them to carry out the mission, yeah. like directly. And yeah, which he everybody knew, does. He knew yeah. he wasn't. But he, he knew for a fact that, you know, this is a droid. This is, uh, you know, the sentience of droids is probably up for debate. But he's very much a sentient being from the point of view of this movie. And he knows what he's doing. And he doesn't have to do it, and he does. Yeah. It's, well, a good, it's a good rule of thumb in Star Wars that the droids that are um, heroes or on the side of our heroes or our main characters are sentient, and the others are not. That's just, yeah. kind, of the, yeah. just kind of how it goes. I think the scene I really liked with him that I didn't really digest it all the way the first time I saw it was when Jen gives him the gun and he says, you know, you're full of surprises. You know, first I was like, oh, you know, it just kind of went by and think about it. But on the second time, I kind of realized that even though he was Cassian's droid, he wouldn't let him touch guns. He still didn't trust him and didn't believe in him. And in the end, Jen did. And well, so, that's good. That's very good because that's her thing. Yeah. Like she's the one who gives the almost corny but earned, so I took it, speech. Oh, the, yeah. The fine. rallying, like, all right, everybody, we got to do this thing. But she delivered it so well, and the movie had earned it at that point. Today we celebrate our, no, no. No, yeah, she's, no, no. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I, just this group of people, I loved the way they were with each other. There, there wasn't necessarily, they, they didn't have like pals chemistry. They, they weren't the A team. No. They just all knew that they had to do this thing for, for each had their own personal reasons for having to carry this mission out. And and because of that, they got together and they did it. But they weren't, you know, they they weren't necessarily friendly. They weren't, you know, at, at the end after it was all over. I don't know that they would have jumped up and down and hugged uh, if they hadn't all died. No, it was a, it's a it was a work relationship. You yes. know, they were yes. a squad. 
Yeah, exactly. Doing a, doing a job. And I actually appreciated that. And one thing that people have pointed out, I appreciate that, you know, there's real, there's no love story. You know, it would be really easy for Cash and Engine to become a thing or, or to yeah. do that. And I, I think while they become close and, and I, but I think facing your certain death like that, almost anybody would hold the other person they're with. Oh, absolutely. So, so I, you know, I, I like the fact they didn't even try to jam that in there. I think that really would have hurt the film greatly. Yeah, I like that a lot too. Like the fact that they didn't force the, all right, let's do the big kiss before the end that they were just kind of there together. And, uh, uh I, I liked the ending that way. And they probably could have earned it, but I like the fact that they just didn't go for it. Yeah. You know? that, that's not what this movie was. No, no. So as we wrap this thing up, I am sure there are final thoughts that we didn't touch on some things that we maybe missed. Uh, Chad, Yep. I know you have a list. I have notes. They're called notes. <laughs> Not a list. Uh, no, I don't have a ton, actually. We've, we've hit a lot of things, but I do have, um, um, we talked about pretty much, I mean, listen, I really liked the movie. I liked it quite a bit, um, more than I thought I was going to. I've only seen it once. Um, I'll see it again when I get back to San Francisco. I'm halfway through the novelization now. Um, worth it. Um, so far, it's, it's definitely better than the Force Awakens novelization. Okay. Um, it seems a little short, um, but uh, I'm enjoying it. And I primarily sat down to read it to see if it was Mustafar, and um, <laughs> so far that's been that has been squashed. That already has been revealed. Um, yeah, I mean, I mentioned a couple of the things that that bothered me. Um, uh, I didn't like the Pandu Baba cameo, um, but I liked pretty much all the other. What people people will call fan service, but here, my, my, my bigger point that I'll leave with, I guess, um, is that, uh, and, and to go against your rules to compare it to Force Awakens just in this one aspect, is that, um, uh, we discussed when we did our, like, I don't know, nine hour, you and me talking about Star Wars podcast earlier this year, um, <laughs> that there's people that are fans of Star Wars movies, and then there are Star Wars fans, and those are different things. And, I've had a couple of friends of mine who preferred Force Awakens to this greatly, and I'll—I mean, I'll send Rick. I, I actually enjoyed this experience more than I enjoyed Force Awakens. Is that? But they were wondering why, and and they were wondering they're going to be happy to listen to this, and they were wondering, you know, why? Because they thought that Force Awakens gave them more escapism, more magic. It sounds weird to say, but I know Star Wars so well that it's not escapism to me. It's not just a move, bunch of movies. It's a place. Um, it's a place that I go to, um, to hopefully one day tell stories, but to, 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 to experience stories. And this film was so Star Wars literate compared to what The Force Awakens was in the world itself. Um, I recognized this place in a way I didn't recognize in Force Awakens. I felt at home. Yeah, I'll, I'll go with you on that one. You know, it was just literate. And, and part of that is the, the Rebels references like we're talking about, the acknowledgement of things outside of this movie. You know, the, the acknowledgement of the, I don't know what they're calling it now because is all this stuff canon? Is it, are we back to the EU where this stuff is, where the comics happen but they don't happen type of thing? I don't know what their official party line is on that stuff. But the, but, but it was just, it, it, um, the guy, one of the guys who did, did the story, um, Gary, God, I just blanked on his name, but one of the guys with the story credit on the film, um, he just wrote two episodes of Rebels this Gary year. Gary Witta. Gary Witta, yeah. He wrote two episodes of Rebels this season. 
these are guys, you know, so I, and I know they brought on, um, another writer, the guy who did the Bourne movies, um, later to do some of the rewrites, but Tony Gilroy, but it just felt like this was made by people that were more, you know, JJ was making a sequel to Return of the Jedi and these guys were making a movie set in the Star Wars universe that felt to me much more like I was at home. And so I, as a, as someone who could legitimately live there if you dropped me off, um, because I know my way around and as long as I could pick up the language, <laughs> um, I mean, you know, I can read Arabesh a little bit, but, um, I, I, I just felt like this was the place that I go to. You know, this was the place that I've escaped to for 25 years in novels and in comics. And it felt much more of Star Wars. Um, uh, it, and, and if you go back to exactly a year ago when we did our Force Awakens thing, my biggest complaint was that I thought the universe felt very small and that I thought that the world building in that movie was not very good or, or was, was, very vague and, and didn't feel like the same world to me, partially because they refused to reference almost anything else and they kept it on all. Just the simple fact of having Yavin 4 in this movie connected it to the other movies in a way that episode 7 never could or never yeah. did. You know, just by having Yavin 4, by having, yeah, I still didn't see enough familiar aliens, but we still had Mon Cal's and we had other aliens and um, it just, it, I don't know, it took place in the world that I love more. Um, I like these, these anthology films. I love, I'm excited by the idea of these anthology films. Um, uh, it's, this is the type of move, Star Wars movie that if you gave me a chance that I would like to make rather than a saga movie. Um, I know that Joss Whedon, you know, who had said that he wasn't interested in making a Star Wars movie, saw the Rogue One trailer and was like, oh, they're letting him do that. Now I want to make a Star Wars movie. <laughs> And, and that's what it is. And, you know, and like I said at the beginning, you know, I'll go out on is welcome to the expanded universe, guys. This is what, you know, all, all these millions of people and from the box office results, it's like, looks like it's making almost as much this weekend as it made last weekend. And this is what we've been doing for 25 years is telling stories. All these anthology films are, are, are EU novels and come to life. You know, they're different stories. But to the point where I even could see them at some point adapting some of those stories or parts of the stories into film or into television. And um, to me, it was a home run. I mean, I could pick it apart like we all could, because we all could with any movie. But all in all, the Star Wars geeky me was tickled pretty much the whole way through. And I love that it didn't – it felt so utterly Star Wars and yet was so different from every other Star Wars film. And I thought that was a really great feat um, that they managed to pull off. And um, – yeah, I really enjoyed it. What about you, Jay? Final thoughts? Uh, I think everything's pretty much been touched. Um, I, I liked it quite a bit. Uh, I thought it was awesome, and I thought it was a great example of, uh, again, what you can do in the expanded universe type of uh, story. Uh, I think going back to it, because it was somewhat depressing to me, uh, and again, to my, my oldest, I, I can see us watching Force Awakens. Uh, much more uh, as repeat uh, repeated viewing, um, but still, I, I thought it was fantastic. Uh, love the effort, love the change of uh, themes and change. You know, something other than the Skywalker family. So, um, at the end of the day, I thought it was uh, uh, great. What about you, Ryan? I mean, I, I loved it. I like I said before, you know, I'm such a big Rebellion fan, and this is the 
era or the era that I love the most. And like Chad said, this movie felt more lived in to me than Force Awakens did. Um, you know, one of the big things that draws me to Star Wars much more than Star Trek is that it's not so clear cut. It's not so utopian that everything is great and, you know, some bad things happen, but this is the era where we saw, you know, things aren't always great and the heroes always aren't the best they can be. Um, yeah, I don't know where I was going with that, but <laughs> I liked it. You know, it's, it, it felt like home, you know, as much yeah, exactly. as it can be about lightsabers and blind monks and all that can be. Um, and like you said too, you know, just all the callbacks to all the extended universe stuff. Like it felt like as an EU fan, I was constantly during this movie being rewarded. Like, you know, we've, you've read all this stuff for years and you, you know, have rooms dedicated to this. This is for you. I didn't feel like the force awakens sometimes was made for me. And I felt like this was, it was, it, the force awakens, I feel like was made for, it it had things in it that were meant to appeal to us, but it was also, as we discussed when we recorded about it, aimed at a whole different generation, really. Well, it was trying to get everybody back on board. Yes. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that. I love Force yeah. Awakens. Uh, then, but that was its goal, whereas yeah. Rogue One was like comfortable old shoes. Yeah. Real fast, I have to point out something I just saw on Facebook. Is yes. That- if you go back, if you look at the uh, council scene on the Death Star with Tarkin when he chokes oh. uh, Tog, there's an empty chair next yep. to Tarkin at the table. That's probably Krennic. Oh, wow. I saw that today, too. I <laughs> yeah, love it. So that was Very like, cool. That's where Krennic was at. Yeah. That's great. That's the stuff that I'm looking forward to going back and kind of piecing together. How, yeah, yeah. That's, why, that's what I mean by, uh, is that it felt literate. It really felt like these guys tore apart because because i know i know it's your turn and but it felt like lawrence remember lawrence kasdan wrote empire and return of jedi and then never touched anything star wars again until he worked on force awakens right and never read a book never read a comic and so when he came back to it he's just going off what he had done before and the guys making Rogue One, it felt like they were much more like looking at the old movies and finding these little things that well, they could and, explain, you know, and, and everything. And it, that's why it felt much more Star Wars to me. Yeah, I would agree with that. Oh, I just thought of something I wanted to talk about that we haven't hit on yet. Okay. The music. I loved it. I, I have seen complaints about the score as well, and I thought it was fantastic. What uh, I loved about it is there's notes on it, and I've seen it in the theater three times now. There's moments where it feels like it's about to kick in to the old music from the original trilogy, and then it flips on it. And so I kind of think that part of the criticism they're getting right now for the music is that – and I noticed it with more viewings – is like you feel it coming, and then it doesn't happen. And it almost makes you feel uncomfortable. But it's because it's not not time for that yet. Yep, until the very end of the movie. It's just like – it's just like um, Creed, Casino Royale, Creed Two. Uh, I still haven't seen Creed, but it, Casino no. Royale, where they don't play the Bond theme until the end, until it's been earned, and that's this is the same sort of thing. Like we're we're not there yet. Creed uh, teaches teases the Rocky team theme a couple times through the movie lightly, yeah, and then unleashes it at the. <laughs> the pinpoint exact moment to where a dude in front of me stood up in his chair and goes, fuck him up, Creed! <laughs> like, it is, it is some of the most exquisite 
like crowd pleasing filmmaking I'd seen in years. Um, and, uh, I, you know, Michael G- Giacchino is a great composer. I didn't even know people were down on the score because I, I mean, I, you know, it, it, it's not instantly memorable, um, in that sense. Uh, but we're comparing it to John Williams. You're never going to have anything as, you know, you can hum right. 10 of his themes. And you can't do that with any other composer in history. So, um, yeah, I mean, Michael G. King was a great composer, and I, I thought the score was great. I, it was already downloaded onto my iPhone when I got out of the theater. I just refused to listen to it. I think you could after we even got out of the movie. I think you could hum ten of Danny Elfman's themes. It's just you would be confused as to which one was which. <laughs> yeah, after I got past the first three. Yeah. Um, okay, so got to wrap it up. Uh, let us know. We're going to go around. Your what final you- thoughts? Did you like it? Oh yeah, dude, I totally loved it. Um, okay. <laughs> it. It gave me everything I possibly could have wanted and more. I cannot wait to see it again. Uh, I'm I'm actually thoroughly annoyed that my schedule just hasn't worked out. If if I had not uh, been struck down with this illness, I would have seen it sometime in the past two days. But I just getting out of the house and spending two and a half hours in a movie theater did not appeal to me. Uh, hopefully yeah, this I, weekend. Saw, I only saw Force Awakens once in the theater, oddly enough. Um, I'm now, I'm, but I'm actively looking forward to seeing this again. Yeah, I, I I can't wait to see it again in the theater. I can't wait to buy it and watch it on Blu-ray and dissect it. And hopefully, uh, Disney will just give us everything in one edition instead of double dipping again. That really annoyed the fuck out of me. Yeah, I know. And uh, if you get a chance, though, read the book. Yeah, I, I read, will pick up both of the books. I, I want to read, read the prequel. Read Catalyst. It's fantastic. Yeah, I, I want to read uh, both the books, definitely. Uh, so what are you guys up to now? Where can we find you online? Let's start with Jay. Uh, as always, belligerentmonkey.com. You can always find me there. Uh, this is the slow season, so uh, down doing uh, trying to work on some stuff, uh, getting ready for the spring uh, festival season. So I think Edmund Park is my uh, next big show. So uh, not a whole lot going on, just trying to uh, uh, lay low and uh, recuperate. Ryan, head of research, anything in the works other than just keeping us informed? Sadly, no. <laughs> but, but if you ever need to know about like, hot do- deals on toys or anything, just hit me up on Facebook. I usually know where they are. Yeah, Ryan is, is always texting and messaging with uh, sales and clearance and what else. Yeah, I did pick up the uh, three-pack from Toys R Us thanks to your uh, text earlier. There you go. Chad, where can we find you online? What are you up to? Um, well, you can always find me on Twitter at Chad J. Shonk, um, or my website, website Uh You can buy my book, Proxy, my novel Proxy, on uh, Amazon. And um, keep your eyes open, because this year, things are going to, there's going to be some things this year. So, um, I, uh, it's going to be a good year, so you'll be hearing from me. So, um, uh, keep in touch. I like to hear that. Excellent. All right, guys, thank you so much for coming on talking about Rogue One. And this time next year, we will be talking about Episode 8. God, every craziness. year till the day we die. That's exactly right. Now, you know what? I couldn't be happier. All right, guys, thanks a lot. All right, bye. Thank you. As always, our interstitial music is provided by The Mystery Men, which you can find at themysterymenofsurf.com or facebook.com slash mysterymensurf. Uh, thank you so much to you guys for providing interesting and unique music for the show. I, I love having it uh, each and every week that we use it. So this is it, you guys. 
This is the final Needless Things podcast of 2016. 2017 happens uh, in in just like a day. It will be a new year, hopefully a better year, hopefully a more optimistic year uh, than 2016 was. The podcast is, I'm not going to do anything drastically different, but you'll notice a little bit of change. Uh, same thing with the website, needlessthingssite.com, where you can go and click on that Amazon link and help us out. Uh, there are going to be some slight changes just to test some things out. Nothing major, because I do I do believe in the way that I do things, and I do like the way that I do things. Uh, and these are just attempts to streamline things for you guys a little bit, maybe. Uh, and, and perhaps be easier and more appealing, but... Never an attempt to get like cheap clicks or anything bullshit. Yeah, you guys know me by now. You know I'm not doing anything because I think the masses will like it. Uh, if, if I figured out what the if I could figure out what the masses like, uh, my life would be a whole lot different. Let me tell you that, Jack. Uh, but anyway, I want to thank you guys sincerely for listening to each and every episode, for going to Amazon and clicking and, and doing whatever it is you do. Spread the word. Uh, share the links, do the thing, but, but mostly just thanks for listening. And, and I'm glad that I can bring you some enjoyment, uh, every week with this thing. I love you guys. Happy new year. Thank you for listening to the needless things podcast. You're the best. You can find the show on iTunes, Stitcher, downcast, or in the ears of a trader VIX employee. And of course it's at needless Love you. Mean it. Uh-huh.